0: We have words that we don't really understand because we don't use them and worse yet, we don't practice them. Words like honor, words like compassion, words like duty, words like sacrifice. And what exactly does that mean? The real question for today is centered around this theme, go big. And if you go to a football game, go big, go big. Everyone's got their face paint on and their stomachs are painted. And when it gets to the playoffs in Green Bay and it's 10 below zero and these crazy guys have paint all over them and ESPN captures that shot, you know which one I'm talking about. And you're like, they need prayer. <laughs> you know, something's wrong with them. I got better things to do than put paint all over my body and sit out at Lambeau Field screaming, go big this whole idea about go big is really based upon, as I reflected upon this the last two to three weeks, this risk-reward system. Now, let's be honest here. If there's no risk, there's no going big. If there's no commitment, there's no going big. And the risk is often associated with something that kind of messes up our plan. And I want to personalize this today. This is my objective for you. And that's your mission if you choose to accept it. And that is this what does that look like in my life? So say that with me, that question. What does that look like in my life? You see, that's what we're ultimately asking is what does that look like in my life? That's good for Abraham. That's good for Jesus. That's good for the Apostle Paul. It's good for, we can lay out all of the. the the prophets of old and all the great valiant warriors, but that's good for them. What does that look like in my life? You ever find it very interesting that the one thing you want to do in life is pray, and when you finally get around to it in the 99.9 percentile of your day, right before your head crashes that goose-down pillow, you have the greatest intention of starting that prayer, and you're out probably within three to five seconds, and you have one of those weird, bizarre moments where you actually wake up, but you're actually continuing your prayer as if, you know, you just nodded off for a second, but it could easily have been a half an hour. You know, my life has been centered around these six principles this last year, year and a half, and here's how it goes. This going big, it's really not the what you do because that's very easy to look at Big game hunting or jumping out of a perfectly good airplane. As many of you know, I I actually do do that, and I really enjoy skydiving. It's a lot of fun. You're probably like, he needs prayer. And, uh, you know, I find a lot about people's character when they're at altitude, not when they're on the ground, because when they're on the ground, and is Danielle in here somewhere? Yeah, there she is. Yeah, Danielle actually had the courage to come with me, and that was cool. That was cool. You got a different perspective today, right? Completely different perspective and different respect. So you probably wouldn't do that, say, hundreds of times, okay? I'd be happy to take you along. You know how it is. I'll hook you up. But the reality is, is you're okay on the ground. As a matter of fact, we tend to be a bit cocky, a little bit obnoxious about who we are and our plan and our law, our, our plan of order. Many of you have house rules that really aren't written. You know, trash gets emptied at such and such time, you know, always clean this, you know, animals either on the couch or not on the couch. You know, these are house rules that you don't publish. They're just part of your house, your domain, because you've established those. But something to be said about the rules and the laws that God has actually ordained. And in this first concept, I'm going to give you six things that I think are really key to what took me to where I am today. Because the biggest question that I've been getting, the biggest question, bar none, is really twofold One, what are you going to do when you get to Texas? Okay, fair question. And then number two, why Texas? In both of those things, I don't have logistical responses that can satisfy you. I really don't. I have a great appreciation for what Abraham must have experienced when God said to go and, and propelled him to pack up his family and all of his livestock and his his you know, servants, and, and make this mass caravan to go to a place where he had no connections, he had no networks, he had no business interests. He just went out of sheer obedience. How many of you are parents? Just real quick, show of hands. Let me take you back real quick. Do you remember when your kids were younger? And <laughs> Yeah, I wish they were that way now. Uh, there, it might have been rarely, but there was a time in their lives where they actually did something really good like an obnoxious duty like let's just take taking out the trash or cleaning the dishes drying them and putting them away in the right place with a smile on their face like to align all those things but they did it without being asked you ever have a moment like that it's a different no Prayer counselors are standing by in their back, you know. We'll work on that pain. I know it's tough. When a child thinks it up, there's a different level of pride that comes with that. And it's actually a pride that's not so much as pride as it's you're seeing in action the character, the biblical principle of thinking it up, executing, and reveling in it. Oh, this is, I'm just doing it, and i got a smile on my face. Like let's be honest, trash is taking out trash is not fun. But none of you would ever argue that trash has to be taken out. None of you would go on trash strike in your house, especially if you have a child under one year old and you have diapers. You would not argue that point. I'm gonna take you to this point here prayer. Prayer is this 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 model of prayer. You know, I, I love the way you know the Apostle Paul talked about we should be praying relentlessly. Without ceasing, without ever stopping, like don't ever stop praying. And I'm not talking about well, should we be on our knees 24/7? Well, then I won't get enough sleep. Well, should we, how should prayer look? What does that look like in my life? Are you a person who prays out of necessity or out of pain? You know, I saw a quote earlier today, or not today, but uh, I saw a quote earlier this week that I thought just really kind of shaped my view of this idea of prayer. And it goes like this: It says, "If you're not anchored in the goodness of God," you will lower your theology to match your pain. Did you grab, a, you grab that? I mean, that's pretty gnarly here. If you are not anchored in the goodness of God, you will lower your theology to match your pain. And it's all about perspective, right? Let's take a step back. In the last seven days, this country has seen some pretty crazy stuff going on. We could start with uh, the Gaza Strip. you familiar with what's going on there? Okay, so that's pretty wild. How about that flight out of the Netherlands? 298, almost 300 people dead. Looks like Russia shot it down. What about this woman who was killed in a bank robbery? Did you catch that one? PhD student? I mean, I'm I'm telling you about current events. This is actually going on. And there's so many more things. And we can go through a long laundry list of things. And then we say, what do we pray for, for those people? If it's not me, then I don't really have a need to pray. And I remember it wasn't long ago that Eric stood up here and he actually gave you kind of this prescription. And I love it because it's this model of we call it acts the prayer model and how we should pray a adoration to adore God. See, when I'm praying and I'm in pain, you know, the first thing out of my mouth. Get me out of my pain. Then we can talk about other all this cool stuff, God. See confession. What am I confessing? Well, I'm confessing a lot of things. The first of which is I'm a broken model of what I should be. I'm a sinner by birth and by choice. I actually choose to sin here. And Paul went as far as to say in Romans 7, 14, you know, the things I want to do, I don't do. It's the things I hate. Not only do I do those things, I keep practicing them. There's a, there's a sense of love and admiration for the things that I hate. Why do I do that? But yet still call myself a Christ follower. This is an opposition to the worldview that I've actually come to believe. Have I lost my mind? Yeah, some of you think, you know, as a, as a mom of a, of a preschooler or of an infant or an adolescent child, your days are never going to end. It's just relentless. It's just nonstop, you know, diaper changing and macaroni and cheese and hot dogs and, you know, school lessons and laundry and folding and putting away and cleaning up and cleaning up and cleaning up and you feel completely unappreciated. And there's a great respect for that. I wonder what it's like for God when he's cleaning up our mess. Constantly, relentlessly, over and over and over again. But the only thing that we can come to him with is one request. I need stuff. I need stuff. My wife won't listen to me. She doesn't understand me. My husband won't listen to me. He's really arrogant. Somebody's always got something going on. There's a level of imbalance taking place. And yet... This importance of prayer is where I began my journey. It was roughly 18 months ago that both my wife and I knew that we were coming to a place where God was kind of prodding and pushing. And some of you are in that place right now. I kind of feel like God's telling me something. I just need to pray. Three of the most dangerous words, we need to, we need to, dot, dot, dot. If I hear that again, I think I'm going to pass out. You know, politicians are really good at this. We need to, and da-da-da-da-da, we just never get to. We never get around to doing it. We just, we need to. We just keep saying we need to rather than we do. Obedience doesn't really ask questions. Obedience is, by trusting, says, I just do. You see, when I'm on the ground before I put on all my gear and I go through the school and I have my... Equipment and i'm checked and then i'm checked and checked and checked again and I get on that plane That's not the place where I have to figure out if I in fact want to jump out of the plane That's not a good place to be thinking on the ride up Should I jump out of this plane? Because see during the process of moving up there's several things that happen at about a thousand feet A computer goes off in my ear and that's when we actually can loosen our seatbelts at about 5,000 feet, people start to move around and start to navigate because you have guys like me who jump with cameras on their helmets, and you know we get to move up toward the front of the plane. But the other people who are doing tandem jumps, like Danielle did, they have to move to the back of the plane, and they get bolted onto their instructor. So I'm sitting in the back and I'm just smiling, and I'm trying to get you relaxed. But that's just the way the game goes, and life is kind of the similar way. You've got to take a step that you perceive as being this monumental thing. One of the things that I am humbled by, and I just want to help you with your perspective, please don't say to me that we are making a big step to go to Texas. You know what the Lord revealed to me this very week? In the perspective of eternity, in, this, in the perspective of God's will, this is one step in the step of many. Packing up and leaving what I'm most comfortable with, almost 20 years of relationships, and going to a place where I really don't know hardly anybody, hardly no, no family, no networks. To be completely uncomfortable in a place I was just told is as hot as hell. Uh, uh, of Dallas, North Dallas, Texas. Yeah. Well, here's the deal. God told me to go, and even if it was a burrito and it was introduction and I really wasn't hearing God, his grace is sufficient. So he's got me covered either way, even if I'm making the most epic mistake in the history of epic mistakes. But I'm just letting you know I'm not making a mistake. I'm just being obedient to what God wants me to do. He's made it very clear to me. And prayer was the first place where I actually got dialed in and I could actually hear his voice. Because until I started praying... And I mean really praying. And I'm not talking that prayer. Prayer is not a solo act. There are times when we need to come before God as an act of obedience and an act of discipline where we connect with God. But then there's the prayer that I see happening around here at Lighthouse all the time. If you ever show up in the midweek, it's really kind of a a neat thing to see the elders sit down and pray for each one of you. That has just been a flushing process. It's kind of like, wow, I didn't know that was going on in that person's life. Wow, I didn't know that person. Wow and you start really praying and really grabbing and wearing the clothes of that burden, it starts to change your perspective on what's really important in life. I mean, seriously, are you kidding me? We are here in the United States of America for what it is right now. You're sitting in a building where we're not fearful of the threat of a bomb blowing through the side of our door and, you know, someone coming in here and bringing harm to every one of you. You see, now that's risk. But if you talk to someone in China who's a believer, who's in an underground church, that's what they risk every single day of their life, just to hear the word of God. I just have to wonder, where are we that our perspective is so skewed that we think we're actually entitled to a good sermon or a good worship experience? Or I get to sit in my same seat because I sit here every week. You know, you better move. I think I just ruffled some feathers. I love what Paul says in here in Philippians four six. He says, don't worry about anything but in everything. Through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. I love this. So it's this idea of thanksgiving on top of your petition. So I should be thanking God for my circumstance, not thanking God that, you know, it's really kind of a, a sadist kind of weird thing. God, thank you for the pain. I love it, I'm closer to God now. No, he's not really seeking weird, creepy people that way. Although, I'm sure he could use you, you just won't be as effective, right? Thank him that he chose you to respond appropriately in that circumstance. I'm not convinced without problems in life that we would ever pray. Would you agree with that? I mean, if everything was really just, you had the health of a, 16 year old you could run like a gazelle you had muscles that defied gravity everywhere you looked everyone was like hey 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 call me you were popular you were famous if everything was just perfect in your mind's eye are you sure we'd ever pray we really have no need to no sickness no weakness huh well, I want you to think about that for a second as we press on here. I love what Kirk Franklin said here in a quote recently. He said, there were doors in my life that didn't open. He said, there were doors that did not open. Not because I wasn't ready, but because I wasn't right. Because I wasn't right. I'll never forget uh, <laughs> years ago. This is kind of a weird thing, and I'm, I'm really kind of busting husbands right now, so this isn't cool. Um, trade secret to all the wives. My wife was... Coming into the room uh, once, and it was you know late at night. I was getting ready for bed, and you know I, I heard her coming down the hallway. So I, I kind of jumped out of bed, got on my knees, and I was praying. I was looking, like I was praying. You know, I was old spiritual moment, and I heard her come in, and then hear the tiptoeing. Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to disturb my husband because he's deep in prayer. And then she left the room, and I jumped back in the bed. And I was like, that's good. You know, it's just a lot of us treat prayer that way. It's just really this facade. This idea, I just busted myself. She's like, so that's what all that was about. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> a lot of us treat prayer the very same way. It's just really what can I get from God, not what can I give as a response to his calling in my life. I wrap it up into the old Jimmy complex. My name is Jimmy, and I take all you give me. You know, we're just really willing to receive anything God wants to give us. And we're not really willing to step forward by faith and just trust that whatever God has for us, he's going to take care of us. A lot of you see this as weird and bizarre. Why would you leave the confines of California? It's beautiful here. We got the beach. It's just nice. Beautiful weather. No mosquitoes. All this cool stuff. And you're going to go to Texas. It's hot. And did I mention something to do with God creating hell in Texas in the same day? And, you know, all these things. And you're going to go there. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Well, the one thing that I have not done, and I will say humbly, I have not questioned God. I just told him originally I wasn't going. The problem with that was, is that neither was my ministry. He brought the ministry to a screeching halt. And Lee and those of you close to me, you, you, you know that. It's just been tough. This isn't an economic move. Well, we got to move because it's expensive to live in California. These, these are not the excuses, nor are they the reasons. I'm going because God told us to go. So I need to go. And the truth of the fact is, is I'm... A, not a citizen of this world. I, you know, I'm a United States citizen and all these things. But the, the truth of being a Christ follower is I'm not bolted here. There's a conflicting worldview taking place here. There's the worldview of the American dream, in which is to make much of myself. Education, money, success, possessions, and fame. And then there's the other worldview that is conflicting and bashing up against that. And that's that idea of being a Christ follower. And that is to make much of God. To make little of myself and to make much of God. Well, how can you make much of yourself and much of God in the same breath? You can't. You just have to choose which side of the road you want to be on. And that is what it is. Point number two, obey God's word. This is really important. Obeying God's word is, is really not of, you know, giving, you know, I'm going to receive God's suggestions and, and I'll pick and choose. See, I want to, I'm not going to spend much time on this, but this is a dangerous place to be. I think too many of us have gotten to the place where we only follow the instructions that God has laid out that we agree with. That make us feel justified or comfortable. And this is a problem because there are no ten suggestions that God gave us. I mean, God wasn't sitting up there with the angels one day and say, you know, yo, 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 Moses, here, here's how we going to roll. Uh, roses are red, violets are blue. He didn't go through this monologue. Trying to lay out some cool suggestions, if you just kind of think woulda think shoulda, you know, maybe it it possibly can work out for you. No, you. This is the instruction. Jesus at no point said opinions are better than sacrifice. Who needs sacrifice? Just give your opinion. Hashtag wow. See, we get really caught up into the stuff, and we think that somehow that the the truth of Proverbs three four five, which is one of my Past, uh, favorite scriptures in all of the scriptures: Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. Now, what does that look like? What does it mean to trust in the Lord with all your heart? You see, for a lot of my life, I had trusted the Lord with about ninety-eight to ninety-nine percent of my heart. That's the truth. People were like, oh, Egypt, he's a good guy. Oh, Egypt, you're cool. But there was 1% to 2% that was, it was what I call plan B. So let me kind of break it out for you how this looks. Let me talk to you husbands just for a second here. This breaks my heart because I have surveyed many, and when I use the word many, I'm talking about a few thousand, actually, conservatively, young adults between the ages of 18 and 29. And I've asked this question. I said, of guys like me, age 40 and above, what is it about us that you don't like? What is it about, what is it you guys, you 20-somethings, don't like about us? You know what they told me? Bar none. You guys always go to the end of the story. You see, if you ask a question, you better be willing to accept the, the real answer. So you get really more animated about it and say, you don't just go to the end of the story. You know, when we actually say something or do something, you people always come in with your proposal. You go right to the end of the story. You hammer us. You beat us up. And you close out your proposal. And then you leave. You're done. You feel satisfied. You haven't once listened to us. You haven't engaged us. We don't even need you to respond. We just wanted you to listen to us. We don't want you to tell us that we're doing this wrong and that we're doing it right. We just wanted you to just listen. And you see, this is really kind of tough because we we have this funnel. It's a reverse funnel, but as adults, we have this mentality that we take this abstract thought, these ideas, the random stuff, and we flush it through the funnel so that we come out with our nugget of gold. And we feel good about ourselves. But you see, the young adult mind takes that nugget of gold, and that's just too finite. And they flush it up through the funnel, and they're happy with the one word that drives all adults insane. Whatever. Been there before? It's a tough thing, huh? You see, whatever is more than just whatever because God has more than just whatever. He says, trust in me with all your heart. And don't lean on your understanding. So if you're trusting in me with all your heart, there's an implication you can't lean on your own heart. You can't lean on your own understanding. All for me or all for you. But there's a two-sided street. You've got to understand whether you're coming or going. And some of us don't really know whether we're coming or going. So back to you husbands. We have this scenario where we have an entire generation of young men who are growing up who don't know how to be men. Yeah, see, this, in effect is a real problem. I'm not talking, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, no, ma'am, no, sir. Please, thank you. You're welcome. I'm sorry. I'm not talking about manners. I'm talking about men who have no drive to actually get stuff done that should be getting stuff done. You see, the only way I typically know how to model that is is I use some rigid experience of my own. I used to cut grass with a lawnmower that didn't have an engine and it was rusty blades, and, and this is true by you not... Uh, and and that was kind of like manual labor and learning to scrub floors and all these other things that are just rough riding. You say, but how does that help me? We have young men who don't know how to respect women. We have husbands that don't know how to respect, respect their wives and vice versa. I can't even begin to tell you how many young adult women I encounter through either big events or small groups or mentoring that refer to themselves as... The word beginning with B and ending in itch. And this is a term of endearment. They're actually proud of it. Yeah, because I'm sure as a mama, that's exactly what you wanted your young daughter to grow up and refer to herself as. Because if she thinks of herself that way, how in the world does she see God? If that is the limitation of her view on herself, how does she see God? God can't possibly love that. So going big... Means I'd better choose to be all in. I love what happened on this transition of life in Luke chapter 9. Jesus and his apostles were headed to Jerusalem. And, and there's this scene of people that kind of came along the way. And I love it because one jumped out and said, Jesus, I'll follow you. You know, it's kind of really... Obnoxious and bold and we love the name drop, right? So it's very cool. Oh, yeah, you know I was hanging around such and such kind of make ourselves look a little bit more important And the truth of the matter is if we find out were you really hanging around them or were you in just the same stadium as them? Okay, I was just I was actually in the parking lot, but you know uh, Just name dropping right because somehow it it helps others see us as more important than we think we are are already seen. But this man says, Jesus, I'll follow you. And Jesus says, uh, well, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests to lay in. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. You know, if you choose to follow me, uh, you might want to think twice about that. Because to be a Christ follower, you signed up to follow a leader who will ultimately be bludgeoned and murdered and despised in this world. So when you get to a point in your prayers and you're praying, Lord, why does the world hate me? Why do I have a jerk boss? Why am I having a hard time? Why do I have to do all these things? Here's Some godly advice for you. Shut up. You don't have the position to be asking why God is allowing you to endure stress. Jesus made it very clear to you. Don't be surprised when the world hates you. And you know what he said after that. Because the world first hated me. And if they hated me, (laughs) you in trouble. It's one of those things. Number three, accept God's leading. I love this thing here because in the questions that I've been receiving quite often about the why Texas, what are you going to do? Well, the ministry will go on. At the end of the day, I'm a speaker. I'm a communicator. Let's simplify it. I'm a communicator to young adults, men and women. My demographic is very, very specific. Ages 18 to 33. Yes, I love the church. I love the parachurch ministries. I love coming alongside and building up people. Those of you who have been to my website, you know I, I just have this tagline I don't build buildings, but I do build up people. I love people. I shared with you many, many years back, and one of the most maybe humbling things, if not embarrassing and shameful things in my life, is that my mother has suffered from mental illness for years. For years. As the oldest of five to a single mother, I have a completely different perspective. Not having a dad in my life, the fatherlessness has had a devastating effect in my own life. Not only just with the choices I've made, but just the view on men and what a man should be. So to establish boundaries and to be around men who actually have integrity, Lee's, Eric's, Gary Roarn's, Tim Bundy's, you know, there's so many of you. I I could just go on. Rich Ripoli. there are just many of you who have influenced me in ways that you don't possibly even understand. It isn't about name dropping. It's only to say that I've had to get to a place where men would hold me in check. And as a man who's pretty prideful, I don't really want to be held in check. I want to do what I want to do. See, I didn't have a dad there to tuck me in at night, to go to my football games, to pat me on the butt and say, go for it, tiger, to give me a hug. There's something to be said about appropriate touch, appropriate touch. A man to his daughter. Appropriate touch. Your daughter is going to find a man based upon her relationship with her daddy. Don't be all mad and bent out of shape if that boy, that new husband, is nothing of your approval. A man should have appropriate touch with his son. Outside of the words of I love you, the four words that I think are critical that'll change the life of anyone are I believe in you. When was the last time someone said that to you? When was the last time you said that to someone else? It's not a statement that needs to be deserved. Got guys like Steve Cornett here. I'll never forget the first day we met. First day we met. One of the first questions I ever asked Steve, and I didn't even know him. He didn't know me from the man on the moon. I asked him a very awkward and unrealistic question. I said, do you trust me? (laughs) Dude, I don't even know you. He didn't say that. But he did look at me and said, yeah, I do. I don't know why, but I do. We started meeting for a long time. Steve ultimately came to Africa with me. Many of you have seen that. You've seen the transformations that have taken place. And it's not about the trip. It never has been. It's never been about Skid Row. It's never been about the events. Really, those are just things. It's always been about the relationship and the humbling process that takes place through that. Many of you have been involved in that stuff over the years. I want to see you continue that spirit. The biggest thing that matters most to me is that God has just shaped me to be one vessel in his arsenal. You know, on the chessboard, as you look at all the pawns out in life, I wonder how you've established your life similar to that of a chessboard. If you have boundaries that are healthy or you have boundaries that will break you, you know, as a wife, you have a completely different perspective than that of your husband. You know, the man go hunt, hunt bear, bring bear home, wife cook him bear, you know, and bear walk him around pregnant and cooking bear all day long. I don't know where that came from, but the truth of the reality is that God has brought us together in a relationship that is not always perfect. It isn't always aligned to our liking or our prescription. And sadly to say, if you ever wanted anyone to think like you, be like you, act like you, that's one of the worst group of people to ever be around is a bunch of people exactly like you. Exactly like you. How many of you just, you hate the stage? The stage is not your thing. You'd rather be working behind the stage, supporting. Yeah, see, you're having a hard time now. You're so... (laughs) (laughs) I'm just picking on you. You know, without having the dynamics of every personality that brings about God's purpose and plan, we all fail. Not everyone can be the the police officer or the lawyer or the doctor or the teacher. But we all have our part and our place. The question is, is will you do it? I'm going to leave you on this here. This is the big thing. This final thing, actually, that I'm going to point out here because I really feel like this is where God wants to cut it right here is the boundaries, is seeking godly counsel. What does leadership without humility look like? I will refrain from pointing any names and bringing anyone to bear, but leadership without humility is destructive. That's a tyrant. You know, I love what was spoken years ago. Rules without relationships always lead to rebellion. So just say that. Rules without relationship always lead to rebellion. So whether it's your husband-wife relationship or whether it's your parent-child relationship or whether it's your professional relationship or, your, or your, your athlete-coach relationship, if you don't have a relationship of respect and honor between you two, you don't have the, you don't have the right to go barging in and telling somebody what to do it's always going to give you an equal and opposite response rebellion so how do you think i responded to the men who walked in and out of my life via wanting to date my single mom my attitude you ain't my daddy you ain't my daddy you see i could back up and draw my line in the sand you don't know me You don't have anything to do with me now. The truth of the matter is is if we unraveled that a little bit Let's just say it was my biological daddy Guess what i'd be saying You ain't my daddy Why because there's no relationship Without the relationship, you don't have the you don't have the privilege of talking to me Without the honor and respect. You don't have the privilege of talking to me And this is what blows my mind when I when I hear this term witnessing we got to go out We got to share jesus We got to get out there and tell people about Jesus. And then you go down to a place like Skid Row, where we actually, to some degree, we think we're better than them. And I see these folks, and I just observe, and it's like, you need Jesus. When was the last time you walked up to somebody and just yelled at them, "You need Jesus"? Without ever first saying, "Hey, what's your name? What's your, what do you do for fun? What are you doing out here? What's going on? Tell me a little bit about yourself." We don't have the respect to bridge a relationship, but we go right, cutting for the heart. So tell me how effective Jesus is in that scenario. Yeah. You see, when you cut someone that way, they're always going to bleed. I don't know about you. There's not enough bandages to suture that up. The truth of the matter is, is we all need Jesus. We all need him. And at the end of the day, I've come to this place where I prayed, I fasted, I've surrounded myself with godly counsel, I've sought the wisdom of many of you here and many outside i've shared my story i am extremely uncomfortable i do not have the logistics to make you feel comfortable about this decision i know some of you it would be easier to say well egypt better you than me i get it that was me in a lot of areas of my own life but the truth of the matter is is i made a decision i'm going to be honor. i'm going to honor god and i'm going to be obedient to him I'm uncomfortable, but I'm at peace. And that's to be noted. This hasn't been easy. It's getting real hard. I'm going to miss my daughter. I love you. My oldest has been an unbelievable blessing to me in my life. She's an awesome daughter. proud of you, son. She married an incredible young man, one I would have liked to have removed from the picture a long time ago. <laughs> and I don't mean that. I'm just being an overprotective daddy. You know, I'm just being a G.I. Joe daddy. But I love my girls and I love my son and my wife. And there's some heartbreak that has taken place here. It's a transition of life. It's splitting me in half. But Jesus told a man in Luke nine sixty one. he said, follow me. And the man said, I want to go first tell my family goodbye. And Jesus said, he who puts his hand to the plow and looking back is not even fit for service in the kingdom of God. He loves family. But not even your family, your biological DNA bred family, is more important than the calling God has put on you. If you don't have the right perspective, you're always going to chase after wind. Not even my wife is more important than my salvation. I'm not leaving. I'm going forward to do what God's called me to do, as long as you'll have me as a brother and a missionary and a friend. This is home. Kidding me? This stuff here is cool. So would you pray with me right now? Just bow your heads. I'm gonna actually have the worship team or whoever's still around. Please come on back up for a second. Just I'm gonna pray as we uh, get ready for our offering right now. While every head is bowed right now, I just want you to close your eyes just for a second. Please don't look around. I'm not going to do anything weird. I just want to appeal to you personally. If given an opportunity to follow Christ, I mean really follow him, which really requires you to unravel a little bit of what you think following Christ really means, would you do it today? I mean, seriously, would you do it? And that's a personal question. Some of you in your minds might already be responding back, whispering in first person. Well, Why would you ask me a question like that? You know, I grew up in the church. I've been following Jesus for decades. I give to the church. I do all these great things. That's not even what I asked you. I'm just appealing to you right there in your heart. Some of you have been carrying around baggage, and you drag it in here kind of like Linus in his blanket, and you drag your stuff in here hoping somehow that you can lighten your load, but you drag that baggage right back out of here, and you just go and repeat and reset and redo everything you've been doing. It's time for a new Reset. Beginning with your perspective on the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Who do you say this man is? Is he the Christ, the one who saves souls, the one who changes lives, the one who guides and directs, the one who loves you infinitely? Yes, he is. So I'm going to ask you to receive him now. Just say, Jesus, I trust you. Three words. Jesus, I trust you. That's actually four. Jesus, change me. Jesus, lead me. Jesus, save me. Father, I want to thank you for Lighthouse Church. Thank you for every person who has ears to hear in this place today. This may have been a bit unconventional in some sorts, but we trust your Holy Spirit to receive all the glory and the honor and the praise this very moment. As the worship team leads us, Lord God, and we prepare for a time of offering, I pray you would stir up every heart so differently than you've ever done before and don't allow us to leave out of this building the same way we walked in. Give us a fresh start, a renewed spirit, a resolve to follow Jesus, our Lord. For it's in His name we pray. Amen.